Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. It's great to have you here today. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor here at CCC. And as you saw on the screen, one of the things that we do regularly here is we have baptism. And baptism is an event if you have chosen to follow Jesus for you to go public with your faith. Um, Jesus calls us and invites us as followers of Him uh, to be baptized, and it's a way of declaring to family and friends and your faith community that you are committed to following Jesus. And as you, uh, you saw from this, the video up there, and Dave here can testify, it doesn't matter how big you are, we'll fit you in that tank, you know, even if you got Roddy in there with you, you guys will, will uh, get you in there. And uh, so it's a great opportunity to go public. You can go on our website to the Next Steps tab, and you can follow the links there to Fill out the, the details regarding baptism. So we would love for you to be a part of that. It's going to take place next month. And um, if you have any more questions, don't hesitate to let us know about that. Well, when my son was younger, one of the things that he um, said to me often was, um, Dad, can you just use your card to take care of it and pay for things? He, he saw me use my card to take care of and pay for things all the time, and he just assumed, as long as you had a card, then you had money. And I remember clearly saying to my son one time, Daniel, I really don't have any money for that. He's like, well, Dad, you have the card. I was like, well, I don't have money. He's like, but you have the card. You, you see, in his mind, as long as I had the card, I had money, because he saw me use the card to pay for things and use the card to get money out of the machine. And in his mind, having a card meant that I had money. It's a pretty simple concept. And if you ask most kids, where does money come from? They would say from mom and dad. Somehow they magically have money. It just shows up. But one of the things we're going to talk about in this series over the next four weeks is we're going to talk about myths um, about things like money, myths about things about money. And a myth is a widely held but false belief or idea. So it's a widely held, people in this room may hold to it, family and friends, your community may hold to it, but false belief or idea. And so um, most of you know, I believe all of you probably know, that money doesn't just come because you have a card. Money comes because you work hard and the company puts money in the bank. Money comes because you're given a gift and you put that money in the bank and that's where the money comes from. And then a couple years ago, I saw a friend of mine, Mark, up in um, uh, Parker Hill, did a series on money myths. I said, hey, Mark, I want to use some of those ideas. Um, and so we're going to talk about these over the next few weeks. And we're going to talk about the fact that one of the myths that we're going to talk about today, I just need a little more. I just need a little more. Another one we're going to talk about, it's a sin to be rich. That's an interesting myth. How about this one? The church just wants my money. And then lastly, giving is for people who have extra. Should have extra there on the end there. My fault. Um, giving is for people who have extra. So if this is your first time here at CCC or maybe you came here for Christmas and you came back, you're like, oh, they got me in and now they're going to talk about money. I can't believe it, you know. Um, but the truth is here at CCC, we talk about everything about that happens in life. Everything that happens in life, doesn't matter how hard or how difficult or how controversial it is, we're going to tackle it and we're going to tackle it head on. I would suspect that in this room, many of you have come to the end of the year and started to have conversations about taxes and about how much you made and did we save enough in taxes and what do we have for the coming year. Let me see your hand if you've had any conversation in your home or with someone in your family about money in the last two weeks. Let me see your hands. Put your hands up. Look around the room. Okay, so we're all talking about money. Likely some of you are arguing about money, you know, probably did over the past week. You know, you're wishing you had more money and so we're going to talk about that over these next several weeks. Um, the truth is about money it's something Jesus talked about more than heaven and hell put together. He talked about money. 
more than 15% of his statements made in the, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are about money. You say, why did Jesus talk so much about money? Well, the reason Jesus talks so much about money is because he realized that money has a direct connection to something called your heart, your money and your heart. And see, ultimately what Jesus wants to do is he wants to talk about your heart. He wants to talk about the stuff that's on the inside. He wants to talk about the things that you think and believe and hold on to and that you value. And so Jesus knew if he talked about money, he would eventually be able to talk to you about your heart. If you're new here to CCC, I hope you take what you hear and you sit with it, and you think about it, and you evaluate it, and you say, is this true, and does this make a difference in my life? And if you're here all the time, it's great to have you here with us as we start the new year. So we're going to tackle this first myth. It's the myth of, I just need a little bit more. I just need a little bit more. And we're going to tackle that myth by looking at this statement. The statement says this. It's a principle. A firm decision based upon a flawed assumption will always lead to a wrong conclusion. Let me say that again. A firm decision based upon a flawed assumption, will always lead to a wrong conclusion. There was a story of a guy in England, his name's John Brandrick, and John Brandrick one day wasn't feeling very well, and so John went to the doctor, and he went to the doctor and said, Doc, I'm not feeling well, can you check me out? So the doctor ran a bunch of tests, um, checked him out, and um, he came back and he said, John, I've got some really bad news. And doc, John's like, what's the bad news? He's like, um, you have cancer, and it's pancreatic cancer, and it's stage four, and you have six months to live. And John's like, that's absolutely horrible, but I'm going to live these six months like they're my last six months to live. And so what John did is he cashed out his pension, he sold his house, he went on lavish vacations, he had great meals, he bought wonderful gifts for his friends, um, he maxed out his credit card, and then after about four months, John noticed that his symptoms started to subside a little bit. And he's like, Doc, what's going on? He went back to the doctor and he said, what's going on? And he said, this is a true story, it actually happened. And uh, uh, they ran some more tests and the, and the doctor came back and he said, he said, John, I've got some good news and bad news. And John's like, what's the news, Doc? And he said, well, the good news is you don't have cancer. You have an infection of the pancreas, not pancreatic cancer. And John said, well, the bad news is, is I spent all my money. I'm now bankrupt. I have no money left. And he said, I was given a limited time to live, and so I got rid of everything, my house, my clothes. All I have is the suit I'm going to get buried in. That's the only clothing that I have to live with, he said. And I've been ruined financially. You see, John made a firm decision. He's going to cash it all out, right? Based on a flawed assumption that he had cancer and where did it lead him to? It led him to a place where he had nothing. And so for this reason, we want to take the next four weeks and we want to look at the assumptions or the beliefs or in some cases the faulty beliefs that we have, that we hold to about this area of our money. Because if we don't pay attention to them, it could lead us to some dangerous wrong conclusions. It can lead us to some wrong conclusions. And so today, no matter where you're at in your faith or spiritual journey, there's one thing I want for you. And what I want for you is what we're going to talk about today, and that's the issue of contentment. That's the issue of contentment. As we tackle this myth of I just need a little bit more. I just need a little bit more. Because if I have a little bit more, then my problems would go away. If I had a little bit more, the stress in our marriage would go down. If I had a little bit more, I'd feel a little bit better around my peers and coworkers and my friends. If I had a little bit more, life would get better. That's what we tell ourselves, isn't it? Isn't it? But the truth is, it's really not true. 
It's really not true. But our culture drives that message into us, drives that message into us, and they've been doing it for a very, very, very long time. You say, what do you mean, John? Well, let me illustrate with you by talking about soda. So years ago, when I was a little kid, you go to McDonald's, and there was always small, medium, and large. That was what they always had, small, medium, large. And, um, and the large was 16 ounces. That was the largest size that they had. But then, I lived uh, where I lived in Maryland, where I grew up, down the street was a 7-Eleven. And then 7-Eleven introduced this thing called the Gulp. And the Gulp had 20 ounces, not 16 ounces, but 20 ounces. Anybody have any idea how much, the, how much liquid the human bladder can hold? 20 ounces. There you go. They did scientific research. I don't know if they did that. I'm just making that up. But, um, uh, you know, so, but they decided that's how much we can put in the tank. That's how much we're going to put in the tank. We're upping it from 16 to 20. Well, then they decided that wasn't enough. And I remember when the big gulp came out and the big gulp, now we're up to 32 ounces and now we've really got a lot. But 32 ounces wasn't enough. So we had to go up to the super the super big gulp, and get ourselves up to 44 ounces. Well, then we went from there to the extreme gulp, which was 52 ounces. That didn't fit into a cup holder very well, so they complained about that. They made it a little bit bigger, 64 ounces, and redid the cup so it would fit in the cup holder. So now we have the double, the, um, double big gulp, or double gulp is what it was called. And this is a picture of what our culture does. Our culture says, a little bit is not enough. You just need a little bit more. But that's not enough. You just need a little bit more. But that's not enough. You just need a little bit more. But that's not enough. You just need a little bit more. And then you get lawsuits in New York City over all of that soda, you know. Um, that's what our culture does. Our culture says, I just need a little bit more. And if I have, this is the lie, if I have a little bit more, I will be okay. I will be okay. It's not just with soda happened with everything. So in the 1930s, the average woman had nine outfits in her closet. Um, today, you guys are laughing already. I haven't even put the slide up there. Today, the average woman has 30 outfits in her closet. Now, I did not look real hard to find research on men and their outfits, but if I looked really hard, I might be able to find some to equal the, the equation here. Um, but it's not just with outfits. It's not just with outfits. In 1950, the average square footage of a house was 983 square feet. Some of you look at that and you're like, I remember having a house like that, um, you know. Um, today, or excuse me, not today, 2016, the average square footage of a house, 2687 square feet, almost three times the size, almost three times the size. Now, one would assume with bigger houses, and not only with bigger houses, but the family size has gotten smaller, there would be plenty of room for all of our stuff, right? One would assume that that would be the case. But that's not the case because 75% of the garages have no room in them for the car in people's houses in America today. Um, and so what do we now have the advent of what? Storage spaces, right? So we have to add storage spaces. And storage spaces have exploded over the last 15 years. So now there's 2.3 billion feet of rentable storage space in the United States. 2.3 rent feet of rentable storage space. That's actually three times the size of Manhattan is how much square footage that is. And one in 10, I actually did a little more research, it's actually now one in nine homeowners rent with garages rent storage spaces. So one out of 10 homeowners rent storage spaces. And so we tell ourselves, if I what? If I had more clothes, if I had more square footage, if I had more space, then I would be what? I'd be satisfied. 
I'd be satisfied. And this myth is destroying our culture, it's destroying our families, it's destroying our kids, it's destroying our churches, it's destroying everything. And so what does God have to say about this? What does God have to say about this? Well, I think what God has to say about this, because we're going to confront each one of these myths with a lie with the truth, okay? So a myth and a lie with the truth. So the truth I want you to walk away with this morning is this, that God has blessed me with more than I need. God has blessed me with more than I need. I want to invite you to take a Bible in the seat rack in front of you or turn to it on your device and turn to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy. That's where we're going to be actually, chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Um, the page number on the Bible in your seat is there on the screen, or you can follow along on your phone or tablet. Let me tell you about Timothy. So Timothy is a guy in the first century. Um, he's a guy that came to know Jesus and followed Jesus. And Paul, um, who was starting churches all over that area, he invited Timothy along as his apprentice. And he said, Let me, why don't you come along with me and learn how to do what I'm doing? And so he went to a place called Ephesus, started a church with a group of Christ followers, and then they said to Timothy, why don't you take over? I've given you enough training, time for you to take over. I'm going to go somewhere else. So Paul went somewhere else, and then he wrote a letter back to Timothy, who's a young guy, probably late 20s, early 30s, leading this church. And he said, let me give you some direction about the church. And he gave him some leadership training in this form of this letter. And part of the leadership training was on the area of finances. And so... Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul does not say that the person with the biggest bank account, the purpose with the lar- person with the largest net worth, is the person who has it all, who's the happiest. He puts two things together. I want to take a minute and talk about it. The first thing he puts together is godliness. He says, the person that has the most is someone who says, my heart is desirous to do what God wants me to do. I don't quite know what that is, but I just want to do what God wants me to do. And I would suspect that most, if not all of you, some of you might have gotten drugged here by a parent or a spouse, you know, or a friend this morning, but most, if not all of you, are here because you have a heart that says, I want to do what God wants for me. I don't always know what that is, but my heart is to do that. And that's really what godliness is, someone who wants to live and follow after God. The second part is contentment, contentment. I want to talk about what contentment is not. Contentment is not apathy. Contentment is not someone who doesn't care. Contentment is not complacency. Contentment is not laziness. Contentment is this. Contentment is not being driven to want any more, being okay with what I have, not being driven to want anymore. And it's the freedom to know that my self-worth and my value is not based on what I have. And Paul says, if you have those two things together, you have those two things side by side, you will be someone who will experience great gain, great value, great significance in life. You see, the Bible doesn't encourage us to be lazy. The Bible doesn't encourage us to do any of those things and, and just spend our money frivolously. The Bible encourages us to work hard. We're going to talk about that next week. The Bible encourages us to save money. We're going to talk about that next week. The Bible encourages us to be disciplined. We're going to talk about that next week. But what the Bible challenges us to do is to be content with what we have. And the problem is we live in a culture and a society that is increasingly abandoning an interest and a concern for God and for his ways. The culture is backing further and further away to say, that's really not important. That's kind of outdated. They're just trying to control you. They just want to manipulate you. You don't really need that. 
And in the absence of that, there's this big hole, there's this big void that we're filling with more stuff. You see why Paul put these two things together? He said it starts with a heart after God, just wanting to do what God wants me to do. And it's followed by a heart that says, I'm okay with what I have. Because the truth is, if your heart does not, is not after God, you're never going to be okay with what you have, no matter how much you have. No matter how much you have. I read of a study that was done this past week, or I, this week I read of a study that had been done of a thousand people. They took a thousand people and their incomes were from $20,000 to $200,000, okay? So a thousand people, income $20,000 to $200,000. They asked all of them, they said, on a scale of one to five, one, I'm, I don't have enough, five, I've got plenty, where are you at? The average of all of these people was 2.6 to 2.8, okay? So just a little under three. They don't quite have everything that they need. Then they asked the whole group, how much more do you need to have enough? How much more do you have, do you need to have enough? And the large majority of the participants said, if I have 50% more than what I have right now, I'll be fine. So the person with 20,000, 50% more said, I just need 30. The person with 50 said, I just need 75. The person with 200,000 said, I just need 300,000. You see, it doesn't matter where you are. If you don't face this issue, your heart is always going to want more, want more, want more. They say, what do I do about that, John? What do I do about it? You've obviously illustrated that we're bombarded in our culture about this. My heart struggles with this. What am I going to do about this? Well, Paul offers a little bit of direction. The first thing I think he suggests is he said, you have to think about life beyond right here. You have to think about um, what really matters forever. What's eternal? Paul goes on to say in verse 7, he says, we brought nothing in and you're taking nothing out. You know, you brought nothing in and you're taking nothing out. You came in buck naked and you're only leaving in your burial clothes. That's it, you know. That's it. That's it. And, and I remember when this, this really kind of hit home for me. I, um, growing up as a kid, I had um, uh, two great sets of grandparents and one grandfather I was a little more connected to. And and uh, went and visited him in his home. A lot of meaningful time spent with he and my grandmother in their home. It was a house he built for my grandmother, so they lived in it their whole lives. Um, and I remember when my grandfather was getting up in age, and he, was, um, he asked me to come by and help him clean some things up. So he cleaned some things up, took some garbage cans out to the curb, and as we got him out to the curb, he, he's kind of you know, digging through what's out of the curb, and he's like, you know, I could, I could probably use this. I think I'm going to take this in, and I could probably use that, and I could take this in. And you know what happened, don't you? You know, the garbage cans end up back in the house because he could use everything that was there. And, and uh, he couldn't part with the things that he had, but he needed to get rid of them. And uh, unfortunately, he, he fell and broke his hip and wasn't able to be taken care of at home, had to go into a care facility. So I had to walk through this process with my grandmother and my dad and, and just um, uh, sell off all of his things, all of his earthly possessions. And I remember being in the, the care facility there with him, and at this point, he had uh, dementia. He couldn't remember not to get up because he had broken his hip, so they had to sedate him. It was just really hard to go through. Um, and so, you know, he, you know, kind of what he has is his kind of sweatpants and sweatshirts, and that's kind of it. And there was a, a small box of things. And I remember, you know, my grandfather who I looked up to who had, 
you know, provided for his family um, and his extended family, his grandkids, and created this great place for all of us. So he had so many wonderful memories, and now his life is just this. And I was there right after he passed away, and my dad handed me this box and said, um, you can decide what you want to do with the things in this box. And that was it. That was it. And I had this sobering sense of exactly what Paul's saying here, that we don't come in with anything, and when we leave, we don't leave with anything. Paul says, what you need is pretty simple. If you have food, clothing, can you be content with that? If you have food and clothing, can you be content? Now, we might add shelter. We might add that. But he doesn't say, you know, cell phone, you know. He doesn't say all the extras. He doesn't say all of those things. Can you be content? And, and I think the way you're content is to have a longer view to remind yourself, hey, it doesn't all go with me. It doesn't all go with me. But this is a huge struggle. This is, it doesn't just, we don't just decide this in our minds and we move on. Um, this summer, our TV died, and uh, we'd only gotten the TV about four years ago, and so we uh, had someone take it apart, and they kind of blew it up, and then we realized it really wasn't coming back, you know, and, uh, and, um, but um, um, we didn't use the TV that often. We were really busy with a lot of things going on in our lives, and uh, occasionally would watch some Netflix, you know, but, um, you know, on the computer or our phone, but I, was, I said to Christine, I said, I, I don't know if we need a TV. I think we're okay without a TV until football season came. I was like, oh, how am I going to survive with that? And then I found the NFL app for my phone. I was like, oh, this is great, but it's so tiny. It's like this big, you know. So I kept watching the sales and looking online, and then Black Friday came, you know, and I found a great deal on Black Friday, you know, got a 55-inch, $249. Can you believe that? That's amazing. Anyways, I'm not giving it up once football season, in case you're wondering. So, um, But I realized, here, I'm content. I'm good without it, right? I'm good. I thought, we're good. We don't need this. And all of a sudden, my circumstances change just this little bit, you know, the NFL season came out. Oh, I really need to, really want to watch this, you know. And uh, it, it's 4K and UHD. It's really, really nice, but sorry, I shouldn't talk about that. It was all for 249 bucks. I didn't spend any extra for that. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, you realize how easily we can shift, how easily we drift. I, I mean, it's just like I was content here. And then, Joom, just like that, I'm way over here. How did that happen so quickly? How did that happen so quickly? It happens when we take our eyes off of the fact that this stuff, it's just here for a season. And when we're gone, we're gone. And hopefully we have a relationship with Christ and you've made a commitment to Him and you'll spend eternity with Him. But He says, can you be content with what you have? Can you be content with what you have? Then He goes on to talk about the danger of believing this myth in verse 9. The danger of believing. He says, those who want to get rich, look what happens to them. Temptation, trap, foolish and harmful desires, ruin and destruction. You're like, wow, that sounds pretty bad. Now notice He doesn't say... He quantifies this. He says, those who want to get rich, we're not talking about working hard. We're not talking about savings. We're not talking about any of those things. We're going to talk about this next week. So if you're wondering about this whole rich thing, make sure you come back next week. But he says, those who have this desire for more, this stirring for more, this drivenness to get more, I don't care how I get it. I don't care what I have to do. I just want more. You can be overt. You can be covert about it. I just want more. He said, this is where they're going to end up. This is where they're going to end up. 
And, and I would suggest to you that it's different for each one of us. The things that stir in us and make us want more. Make us want more. I, I know one of them for me that I discovered years ago that stirred in me this longing for more is the Sunday paper and the ads in the paper. You're like, Sunday paper? Yeah. I would flip through that. I was like, oh, I don't have that. I have that. Oh, I don't have that. I don't have that. Oh, I have that. I don't have that. I don't have that. And just would stir this stuff up inside of me. So I said to my wife, do we need the Sunday paper? No, we can get rid of it. Okay, good. You know, now we just get it on Black Friday and look what it did to me, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a little thing. It's a silly thing, but I realize this is what stirs up in me, this desire that I want. I don't need I have everything I need. I want more. And so the question for you is, what is it that stirs this up inside? What stirs it up inside? Do you get sucked in the internet just scrolling through and looking at things? You know, do you have to have the latest and greatest? Are you an upgrade, you know, junkie, you know? What is it that's stirring this desire for more? We have to look at those things. Because Paul says, if you get sucked into this, if you get sucked into this, it's going to lead you to bad places. Bad places. Bad places. He goes on to describe it in verse 10. He says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Paul does not say that money is evil. Money is neutral. Let me ask you this, can money be used for good things, yes or no? Yes. Money can feed the hungry. Money can put a roof over someone's head. Money can provide education for a child. Money can spread the message and the hope of the gospel to places around the world. And we're going to talk about that in just a few weeks. But the love of money is what is at the core of lots of evil things. Lots of evil things. He goes on to say, some people eager for money, the love of it, they've wandered from their faith, meaning they at one time had a solid faith and a confidence in God. What this verse says is that there are some of you sitting in this room who have a solid faith and confidence in God, that if you are not attentive to this in your area, in your life, if you, do, if you start to believe this myth, if you believe this lie, where is it going to lead you? A lot of grief. A lot of grief. As I say that, I think of a guy, a friend of mine, just wanted to keep moving up in the company, just wanted to get a little further ahead, just needed to travel a little bit more. And it sucked him into some sinful decisions and actions, and it cost him his marriage. A mom and dad who just say, I, I just want my kids to have everything. I just want my kids to have what I did not have. Very, very dangerous belief. Very dangerous lie. And so what do mom and dad do? Mom works. Dad works. They're trying, to, they're trying to provide for their kids all these things. And at the end of the day, their kids have all the stuff, but they have no relationship, and they want nothing to do with them. A young couple who gets married and say, well, it wouldn't be nice if we had, wouldn't it be nice if, wouldn't it be nice if, and so all the wouldn't it be nice ifs are now things that they purchased, things that they've extended themselves, and now there's conflict between the two of them, and they can't figure out to resolve, and the only way they try to resolve it is to, to work more and to work more, and they, they drift apart, and the relationship can't handle the stress of it, and it costs them what they treasure the most. You see, this love of money, 
this desire for money, this longing for more is incredibly, incredibly dangerous because it can suck you in and trap you. Trap you. I heard a story of a little boy named Colin, and Colin was at a diner, and his mom was paying, um, and he was, Colin was intrigued by the, um, the machine, you know, with the stuffed animals and the claw. He was intrigued by the machine with the claw, and he was so intrigued by the machine with the claw, and he was a little kid, and he, he actually climbed through the door, and he got into the, into the machine there, you know, where the claw was, and then he couldn't get out. He was trapped. Couldn't figure out how to get out. Had to call the fire department, had to cut the thing open and get Colin out. And what happened? It sucked him in. The allure of those stuffed animals just pulled him right. And before he knew it, he was trapped. He was trapped. And that's what the love of money does. The love of money pulls us in. And before we know it, we're sucked in and we're trapped. We end up trapped in our debt, trapped in our possessions trapped, and the myth does so much damage, so much damage. And one of the things we want to do is we want to encourage you to face that. We want to give you some resources to do that. Uh, one of the resources that we provide um, is a sheet that looks like this. Outside, as you walk out the, lo- out the doors in the lobby to the left, there's a window. It's our family ministry window. And if you're a parent with kids or if you're a grandparent with your kids, um, there's sheets there for um, preschool, elementary, and middle and high school. Some things for you to talk to your students and your kids about their finances. Um, You saw the classes that were listed on the screen. We're going to highlight this in a week or two. We're starting Financial Peace University. If you want to get a hold of your finances, figure out how do I not only deal with the dollars and cents, but how do I deal with my heart? This is a heart issue. This is a heart issue that I want just a little bit more. Because what has God said? God said this uh, that I want us to walk away with, and let's say this together. Um, let's, Let's read it all together. God has blessed me with more than I need. That's the truth. That's the truth that I want you to walk away with this morning. This is not easy. This is not easy. Jesus said this. He says, watch out. Be on guard against, what does he say? All kinds of greed. You're like, you mean it's not just going to be soda and outfits? No, it's not. It's going to come at you in all different directions, all different directions. And when it does, you have to remind yourself to be on guard, remind yourself of God's blessings. Let's say it again. God has blessed me with more than I need. That's the truth I want you to walk away with. Watch where it comes at you this week because it's coming after you. And when it does, remind yourself of this powerful truth. The writer of Hebrews says this as we close. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. How are we able to be content with what I have? Because of that last phrase. God has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You will always have what you need. Not only does God say that, but Christ wants that to be true in our lives. He wants you to have a relationship with Him and for you to know that life is not about the things that I possess, the things that I obtain. Life is first and foremost about a relationship with Jesus. We're going to play a song as we close, and, and it's my prayer that this song will be something that will stand, stand with, uh, uh, stay with you. Uh, we're actually going to listen to it today, and then uh, in um, the next week we're going to learn this song um, just as a reminder of Christ being all that we need.